0: Hey everybody, welcome back for season two of the Broken Banquet Podcast. This season we've got more interviews with missionaries around the world, more interviews with authors who have written amazing books about missions, and more conversations about what it means for us to abide with one another. And yes, probably a story or two about Ashley taking a walk, eating food, or having drinks with someone who she now loves. We're so glad you're back. We're glad to be back. And we hope that you will enjoy this episode. Yeah. Um, well, hey, we're recording. Hi, <laughs> Will. Hang on. Okay. You're in your on place. All right. Hey, Ashley.
1: Well, hey, Will. How are you? Very fine. Thank you. And you?
0: I'm fine. Welcome back to Shreveport.
1: It's a little chilly here. It's a little chilly. I got off the plane this morning and I was like, wait a minute. This is not right. This is not right at all. I don't like it. This is why I moved to Louisiana in the first place. Uh, It's so cold.
0: It is not at all chilly in Costa Rica. It is quite hot. Uh, It rained last night, which was... Oh, weird and maybe made it even hotter today because the ground's wet but yeah uh, my sympathies
1: thanks for that I it's it was a whirlwind trip to uh, North Carolina I think I was there for 28 hours total I left on Friday night landed at midnight my mom picked me up I slept for a while I woke up my mom and I went to High Point which is where I'm from she lives in Winston-Salem now And went to my favorite place to eat food. It's called the dog house. And it's where they put, you know, chili mustard and coleslaw on your burger or hot dog. And it's so good. And then we went to a funeral like the, one of my greatest mentors, sweetest lady of my home church growing up, the Quaker church. She passed away just eight weeks or so after her husband passed away. And uh, I just, I, because that happened during the holidays and I couldn't get over to North Carolina during that time. I really wanted to be there for Eldora's service celebration of life. And I'm so, so glad I went. It was so good to see so many people that I had not seen in a while. It was a Quaker funeral, the likes of which I have missed, and we had the normal—you had the normal songs, and her family was so musical, very, very talented, and so there were so many of the of the family playing music. Um, and then after the the message at the funeral, you go into a time of open worship when anyone can stand up and say something. And so that went on for a while, and it was just so good to see people and hear from people that I haven't seen in so long. And then we went to the reception, and just to be able to catch up, there was so much hugging. Will, you would have loved it. There was so much hugging.
0: Oh my gosh! So is that? I was going to ask what makes a quicker funeral unique. Is it the the audience participation?
1: mm mm-hmm. Definitely. Yes. It, so it, it's much the same that you would recognize otherwise. Um, but there is this time of open worship, of quiet, that can be quiet reflection, or if God has placed something on your heart to say something, or uh, to just speak up and to remember uh, the person who and the impact that they had on your life. And it's a great chance for the family who's there to get to know the impact that went past the family into the friends and into the community and and eldora certainly was that she was a trailblazer she went to duke medical school was one of only three women at the school at the time and uh, so she was a trailblazer as far as female leadership and just incredible the work she did for the community and how she was a champion of public health um for everybody to receive health care no matter where they came from, what color they were, or what socioeconomic background they were from. So she's wow. just an amazing lady. Sounds like it. Yeah.
0: I think at my funeral it would be, probably be better to have everyone promise not to share their opinions of me.
1: <laughs> but you're oh, the approachable you one.
0: Well, hey, let's, instead of talking about our funerals, talk about yes. – the impending winter storm that Mac is going to get to experience, I, you know, it's, I you remember it snowed when we were in Jordan and oh, so right. yeah. the first time he ever saw snow was us coming out of Wadi Musa in a snowstorm, which was fantastic, but this will be the first time I'm guessing that he'll actually get to like maybe potentially play in the snow.
1: Yes, remember we pulled off of the side of the road and let them go outside because he and Mon Gerard were about to die just to get off the bus and go feel this thing falling from the sky. So yeah, so hopefully, here's hoping that we have more than just a dusting, that it'll be a little bit more than that. I flew back in today because of the storm coming. I would have normally, because it's a holiday weekend here, I would have normally stayed you know, through the holiday weekend since I didn't come back for work this morning. But I, because of the storm, I went ahead and, and flew in and I got in about 11 to 15. And on Thursday before I left, uh, one of my great friends here in Shreveport, her daughter had twin boys in the midst of covid and so um by the, even by the time they were one things were still shut down so she never baptized her kids and then just life got in the way two twin boys it's a lot um two of course it's there's two twin boys so twin boys there it's a lot so um on thursday she texted me and said ashley are you going to be in town this weekend and i was like No, but I'll be back on Sunday. Why? What's up? And she's like, I have got to get my boys baptized. I still haven't gotten them baptized. They're going to be four this year. And I was like, Well, Hannah, yeah, I'll be back on Sunday. Are you coming up for the holiday weekend to see your parents? And she said, Yes. And I said, Well, I tell you what, let's let's do it on Sunday. Well, then I remembered I I didn't. Couldn't have a ride from the airport because all of my people are going to be at church um, this morning, and so I called the, the grandmother that I know so well, and I was like, "Hey, uh, could you pick me up at the airport? And then if you do, we'll just go straight to your house, and we'll we'll do the baptism." And so we had that
0: sounds a little bit like an ultimatum, like you weren't going to baptize these children unless the grandmother came. Come speak
1: for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was. The sweetest thing is they were old enough for me to sit down with them and say, hey, you've heard of a guy named Jesus, right? And so we talked about Jesus and we talked about him being baptized at the Jordan river by his cousin, John. And one of the boys is named John. And, um, and then we, we talked about the heavens opening up and God saying, you are my son and you're my beloved. And I said, that's what Jesus is saying to you boys, that you are his sons and you are beloved. And it was really precious to be able to like, they knew just enough to be able to experience it a little bit. We still went over all of the questions, you know, that you go through with the parents and the family and whatnot, but it was really, really special. Just so special to to have that ceremony and time with the family and and Jacob and John Bryan. So.
0: That sounds like a great thing to have come back to. Hey, you just bought tickets to Costa Rica.
1: Yeah, I did. Hey, why is it so expensive to come to Costa Rica these days? Like break the bank
0: it's just supply and demand. There's so many people that want to come down here and be in ministry with us that it's causing a, you know, glut in the travel market. Um, That's not true at all. I I think airlines (laughs) have just realized that people essentially will pay whatever they ask them to. And so why the heck would they charge less?
1: Mm, Well, thankfully we were able to get it at a, Mm, well, I'm not. It wasn't even a decent price. We're just excited to come see you. Well, you're
0: glad that you were willing you. <laughs> to pay whatever they forced you to pay so that you can come and be church with us.
1: Yes, we're excited. I'm excited because this is like the first team we've brought in a while. We have two families coming with us, and we have Sam and Linda. It'll be really nice.
0: Yeah, awesome.
1: Kind of, kind of get back league. in the swing of it.
0: Yolanda was just saying the other day, isn't it about the time of year that Ashley usually comes to see us with people?
1: <laughs>
0: matter of fact, it is. And as a matter of fact, she just bought their tickets.
1: Yes. I am so... I can't wait for Yolanda and I to go to Europe. I am, I am stoked. I am ready to go. April can't yeah. come soon enough.
0: Yep. She's excited. We're all excited. Hmm. Well, Isabella probably is not excited, but... <laughs> Yolanda is excited and I am excited for her and for you. Yeah. And Isabella will learn over time how important these trips are.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know what else I'm excited about? I have this weekend coming up. I mean, I'm just going to keep talking about my life, Will, because, you know, it's very exciting. Um, it is your this podcast, week- after all. <laughs> this weekend coming up, I have two funerals and a wedding. And John Woodward is coming, so it's, it's pretty exciting, but Friday night will be rehearsal and rehearsal dinner, and Friday night John will come in, and then Saturday afternoon I'll have a funeral for someone, that, she was 104, the oldest member of our church, I know, and then Saturday night we'll have the wedding, and then Sunday morning John will preach, and then Sunday right after church I have another funeral, so baptisms, funerals, weddings, we are covering all facets of life.
0: You know who's never preached at your church? Who? Me. Stop it. <laughs> really? No. I said hello a couple of times in FaithLink.
1: Seriously? <laughs> and I said no. thank you.
0: I said thank you in the big church when you got us vaccinated.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Did you speak at a breakfast of blessings?
0: Uh yeah I, I said I did and Yolanda prayed, um and I spoke right. to a Sunday school class a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they never, never preach. But, you know, whatever, it's fine. I'm not reading anything into that at all. <laughs> um, I know you know Nate has enjoyed it. Uh, John, John has enjoyed it. And I'm just really happy for the two of them that they get to preach at First Shreveport, and it's
1: fantastic. Jeremy did too. <laughs> and, yeah, of course
0: he did. I mean, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't the a missionary who is in a committed relationship with your church preach during worship? Actually.
1: Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. I am so sorry. I had, I was going to say I had no idea, but clearly, <laughs> clearly I did have an idea. I'm but
0: sorry. you know what I well, really enjoy sometimes when I go to visit is a, a partner at church? Just going yeah. to church. And not having to be the you know dancing monkey in front of a group of people. So let's just look at it from that perspective. You have blessed me by allowing me to just attend church like any other member of your church family.
1: Okay, thanks, Ashley. Yep, no problem. <laughs> well, happy to do it. Happy to do it.
0: So, Ashley, you want to tell people who uh, we're interviewing today?
1: Yes, yes, I do. We we uh, recorded this podcast while I was in Montenegro. Still. And just a delightful human being named Rebecca Redfield of Hope International. And we've decided that she is probably the nicest, sweetest, kindest human being on the planet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She has the sweetest soul. And we really enjoyed getting to know her, uh, especially her listening ear, the gift that she has honed. And uh, I believe, I I tried to remember back for all of our podcasts, but I don't remember anyone else stopping us at the end and saying, hey, guys, could I pray for you? And it was just the sweetest moment.
0: Yeah, which is certainly not a knock on any of the other people that we've interviewed, but either that's just part of her disposition, which is incredible, or she was really concerned about the two of us after spending an hour on a video call. I'm hopeful that it's just part of her really sweet disposition. But, and my recollection is that she actually asked if she could pray for us before we started the interview. And then again, when we finished, which was just amazing, what a gift, uh, not just to spend that time with her, but, but for her to, to think of doing that was wonderful.
1: Absolutely. So, Listeners, you are going to be blessed by this interview with Rebecca Redfield, and I hope that you will glean all of the pieces of goodness about listening in the ministry of presence, all the things of which we love to speak about. Friends, we introduce to you now, Rebecca Redfield.
0: Well, I've started my morning feeling jealous of people who do podcasts sitting in a room together around a table with like one (laughs) microphone. I'm not sure, Ashley, what we were thinking when we decided it would be a good idea for us to do a podcast that would involve people from all over the planet with varying degrees of connectivity. Today it's your fault because you're in. Where are you today, Ashley?
1: I'm not in Shreveport. I am in Montenegro, uh, which is nestled between, say, Croatia and Albania.
0: And you're in Montenegro because you're spending time with
1: with the Russians. Our Russian friends Olga and Igor Fatiev. Uh, we've had a, a great time with them. They came down from Yekaterinburg, Russia, and we've had a, such a great time. Pastor Alec and his wife Nadia are here too, and Olga and Igor brought their two kids been so great just to catch up and to be together we were riding the car a little while ago and stefania and dragosh from romania are also here and uh, stefania olga and i were in the car together so a russian a romanian and an american go to the grocery store and uh, it's a great <laughs> beginning to a joke yeah. but uh stefania was helping me with directions so i said thank you friend thank you so much for all your help for for holding my phone for directions and and olga Thanks for just being here. As you said, Ashley, the Ministry of Presence, it's wonderful.
0: Well, and if those names sound familiar to people, we've interviewed in season one, Olga and Stefania. So I'm glad that you are spending time with them. I know that they're glad you're spending time with them. So that's great. But today, Ashley, you want to tell people who we're spending time with this morning? Today,
1: we are spending time with Rebecca Redfield. First got to know Rebecca through An article written by hunter farrell which is one of our favorite episodes from season one and he quoted rebecca in her article which caused me to hyperlink over to her article and i loved everything that she had to say wait i'm pulling it up because i want to make sure that i have the right uh, article title she wrote an article entitled to expand the table listen more talk less And when I thought about that, I thought she has to be on the Broken Banquet. So, Rebecca, welcome to the Broken Banquet podcast.
2: Thank you. So delighted to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: We thought we'd just give you a big softball up at the front and just ask, (laughs) Rebecca, who are you and how did you get to where you are today to be able to write this article?
2: Absolutely. Glad to share. Uh, the simplest answer to how did I get to where I am today is lots and lots of grace. <laughs> so lots of stories behind that. But in terms of who I am, uh, I'm a daughter. I'm a neighbor. I'm a friend. I am a sister. I'm really thankful to be a wife. Uh, to my surprise, I've become a dog mom.
1: Me too.
2: It is fun. It is fun. <laughs> what do you have? Uh, She's a mix. She looks like a black lab. She's a big 70-pound puppy, and we love her. I have a mix that is a black lab predominantly,
1: and she is a 72-pound, 8-year-old going on 9-year-old, really going on
2: 2-year-old. I get it. Dogs are the best. It has been amazing how our puppy, her name's Maya, has helped us to connect with our neighbors. When you talk about the Ministry of Presence, there's something disarming about dogs Lots of testimonies I could get to about how our dog has helped us to love our neighbors. Beyond that, I'm a member of a local church uh, that I love. uh, That's a really welcoming community to neighbors of all backgrounds and experiences. Professionally, I serve in an organization called Hope International, uh, where I lead what's called our listening, monitoring, and evaluation team that helps us to listen well to those that we serve and those that we serve alongside. I'm also on the steering committee for the ACCORD Research Alliance, which helps Christian relief, development, and advocacy organizations to measure what matters in Christ-centered relief, development, and advocacy. I'm I'm an editorial board member for the Christian Relief Development and Advocacy Journal. And something that I am loving in this season, I just became a student again. So I started a new program at Princeton Theological Seminary, in theology, justice, in the public life about how does our faith manifest, lived out in public. I believe it's a quote from Cornel West that says, justice is what love looks like in public. So I'm really delighted to have the opportunity to to study and learn. So Rebecca, I want to know more about Hope International.
1: I went onto the website, and we'll of course link to it in our show notes. But Tell us a little bit about what Hope International does, the work that they do, maybe the importance of Christ-centered
2: financial resources, some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So the mission of Hope International is to invest in the dreams of families and the world's underserved communities as we live and proclaim the gospel. And we do that through two main models. One is called microfinance institutions. Uh, Some folks may have heard of Kiva, may have heard of Muhammad Yunus in terms of associations. So essentially for entrepreneurs that don't have access to capital, uh, we serve them through a biblically-based model uh, that is relational and includes training opportunities. So essentially functioning as a bank. We run banks and we also partner with local churches for something what we call a savings group ministry, kind of like a Bible study group where you actually save and pool your resources together. In many of the contexts where we serve, those that were privileged to walk alongside would say, I don't have enough to save. And we see some powerful things happen when community rallies together. If it would take me 10 weeks to save $10, if I'm saving a dollar a week, imagine that we're together, we grab some other friends, there are 10 of us, we all contribute a dollar each week. All of a sudden, I don't have to wait ten weeks to get access to a lump sum of capital, to pay school fees, to improve my roof, to make an investment in buying chickens, goats, etc. I really to invest in whatever my dreams are. So we we kind of summarize our model. We think about Christ, community, and capital. And we've had the privilege of serving for now um, over 25 years. So grateful to be part of the team.
0: You know, when I spent a summer in South Africa, and I lived with a bunch of student pastors while I was there. This was while I was in seminary. And there was this group of guys that I got to know And I think there were, I didn't know all 12 of them, but I think they had put together this group of, of 12 friends essentially. And each one of them would contribute $10 a month to this pot. And the pot belonged to each one of them one month out of the year. And so, you know, if my month is January, then I would know that each, each year in January, whether it was because I needed to you know, fix something at my house or just wanted to take my wife out for a nice dinner, you know, there are no strings attached. But each one of them got sort of this kind of lump sum once a year, which is, I just never seen that. It was really informal. It wasn't part of a you know, program or, or a bank or a microfinancing program. It was just, they had just thought this sounded like a good idea and decided mm-hmm. to do it as a group of friends.
2: I love it. That highlights the best ideas come from the communities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Identify needs rallying together. That's a great story. Well, I wonder too, so are there
1: partnerships in bet- between Hope and other NGOs? You mentioned Kiva, you mentioned a couple of other things, but are, what, what does partnership and collaboration look like in the communities that you're working within?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It is critical to how we serve. So Hope International is a network of both microfinance institutions and savings group programs. So uh, many of those are programs that we lead and run, our global staff. And many are partner institutions. If we see a community that could benefit from these services, uh, first, we only serve where we're invited. And second, we always want to say, is there already somebody else there doing great work that we can support? We don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's not about making big the name of hope. It's like, how are we serving communities well? Um, So in general, partnership is really core. We recognize that we are better together. And I just highlight as well for our savings group program, it is entirely a ministry of the local church. So we come alongside, we like to say, to to make the bride even more beautiful, uh, to support the local church. So the program's not owned by Hope. We come alongside churches that are desiring to incorporate this ministry, say, how can we support you? How can we serve you?
0: I have a question. I don't really want to put you on the, on the spot, but I, I'm just really <laughs> curious to know. I guess I do want to put you on spot. That's why we have you here. You're on the podcast to be... On the spot, essentially, but
2: um, I don't see that in an invitation
0: <laughs> so has can you think of a situation either while you've been there or just something that's been relayed to you where mm-hmm. you thought you all were going into a community to 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 do something and kind of had in mind this is sort of the model that will work here, and then when you got there, realize nope, this is not gonna and I had to sort of adapt and learn and. I mean, you've mentioned listening already. I want to get back to that later. But just by by listening in the community, realize that what we thought we were going to be doing is not at all what they need of us. And Mm -hmm. it's easy. I think a lot of times, you know, obviously when you hear from organizations like yours, what you hear about most often is when it's gone well, right? And of course, that's Mm -hmm. what we want to hear and we want to be a part of.
2: Uh, No, we're perfect. We've never had to (laughs) adopt.
0: Actually, so this interview's over. Moving um, <laughs> on our agenda for today.
2: Moving on, of course, of course. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later. The article that I wrote, but the distance between where decisions are made and those impacted by those decisions can be great. So, as an organization, our model is consistent. You know, so some organizations enter very flexibly to say what are the needs, and we'll explore different partnerships. HOPE is pretty specific in saying, what we do well is Christ-centered financial services. So we're going to provide that. If there are other needs, we're going to partner with other organizations in those spaces. So there's some communities where our model has not been effective and we've had to close programs. There are circumstances where we have needed to adapt core parts of our model very often. I think in the microfinance context, we have different loan products. And one of our programs right now is doing a complete redesign of Of our core loan product to serve an evolving marketplace and the needs of those we serve we also know that agriculture is that many of the savings group members we serve are agriculturalists, and so we're now partnering with other organizations to provide agricultural training as a complementary service to our model so plenty plenty of examples of adapting our services or expanding our services through partnership um, to help meet the needs of the community and to say We don't think it's our place to meet every need. You know, we are one of many organizations. And first and foremost, the local church exists in local communities. So we don't come in saying we're here to address every need, but say, let's do what we do really well and serve effectively in that. And to the extent that we have influence, connections to meet other needs at the request of the local community, we're glad to do that.
1: But Rebecca, let's really get into it. And you have the best job title that I think I've ever heard in my life. And it's Senior Listening Manager or something to that effect. Senior Listening Manager. How did you get to where you are today as being the Senior Listening Manager?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think if I'm going to be true to my title, I should just ask you questions and listen <laughs> for the rest of the podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah, Ashley, she's not the senior question answerer.
2: Yeah, I have not requested a title change. Just kidding. Glad to share. Glad to share. So listening has always been really core to to who I am and a key value. I remember as a kid, some memories of chatting with someone who was not giving me their full attention. And as a kid, taking their face in my little kid hands and turning it to look at me. Like as a kid, I knew there's so much value and a need for people to be seen and heard and had that desire as a kid. Fast forward, probably 20-ish years, (laughs) I interned at a nonprofit organization uh, where my role was focused on interviewing those that they were serving to gather stories of impact that would be shared. And I think it is important work to celebrate where we see God at work. And as I was conducting these interviews, I started to realize fairly quickly whose stories were likely to be told mm-hmm. and whose stories were not likely to be told. And that's something that troubled me. And so I, I am passionate about the work of listening as a tool to elevate everyone's stories. If you will, the good, the bad, the ugly organizations, those in ministry, we need to hear just as much, if not more, the realities of when things are not working, when our assumptions are false, (laughs) we need that, uh, not just to celebrate stories of impact. So both are needed, Uh, but I have found uh, my heart really beats for creating opportunities for people to feel heard. And to create avenues to respond to what we're hearing. So, I had the privilege, I've been serving at Hope International for the last eight years. And within the first two years, I uh, moved into the listening, monitoring, and evaluation space and just have had lots of opportunities for growth. So, really grateful to now lead a team of five staff, uh, a few of whom are state side, a few of whom serve in the African continent in a few different countries who support this global network in listening well.
0: How cool is it to like meet someone on a plane and they say, so what do you do? And you can just say, I listen.
2: (laughs) It's a good way to start a conversation if you want to talk for the 16 hour flight.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry. Wrong answer. I don't listen. I listen as you put on your noise canceling headphones. (laughs) I sleep. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm curious just about something you said in your answer that that you, you were sensitive to the fact that that it, that it was clear which stories were going to be told and which stories weren't going to be told. What was the barrier between those two things that you recognized? Why were there these stories that you realized obviously weren't going to be told?
2: Mm-hmm. I observed in most cases the stories that are told are the ones of amazing impact. And so for those who've experienced some change, uh, but maybe not as much as the organization would hope for, or for those who've had a really poor experience and it hasn't helped them at all, uh, you don't often see those in the annual report. <laughs> so as an organization at Hope, we we want to be really careful to yes, absolutely celebrate God at work, and absolutely highlight areas where we have seen we need to grow and what we're doing in response to to challenging feedback.
0: Wow, that's awesome.
2: I do love that. And I think that I could take that and learn
1: from that too, because as a local church pastor and especially a missions pastor, I tend to only want to tell the stories of where things are really going well. I shy away from wanting to tell the stories of this is a learning situation that we really need to figure out and discern together, pray through together, because I want especially for folks that are investing in missions and relationships and in monetarily, I want them to only see the success story. So that's a great opportunity to invite everyone to the table to be a part of the conversation on how to collaborate and make things go in a different direction or go into a more successful direction.
2: Mm -hmm. Thanks for teaching me, Rebecca. Thank you for the same. And we have seen to that point that vulnerability deepens relationship. You know, in our organizational history, when things have not gone well, and there was concern of what's going to happen when we share those supporting, share with those supporting our mission of things that are not working out. What we've seen is that that deepens trust. <laughs> to say, you know, we knew all along that not everything was perfect. Thank you for inviting us into the reality of what is. Uh, so we've seen really the fruit of vulnerability.
0: Yeah, that's true. I'm thinking about it from the perspective of the person who things didn't go well for, mm-hmm. and instead of being ignored or or pushed aside because they're not the ones that are being talked about, and and sort of almost rejected because like the all the feelings that must come from that, for the alternative to be a recognition that yeah things didn't go well but we are still invested in you and still want to figure out you know, how do, how can we be in a fruitful relationship with one another? Just how affirming that must be to be included. Because I'm sure in every situation is different, but I can imagine a scenario where the, that person feels like maybe some guilt for the fact that things didn't go as expected. and And instead of having to live with that to be told by you or by whoever the partners are, hey, this is okay, let's keep moving forward. That's just, I mean, what a, what a powerful way to be a part of someone's life by saying we're going to celebrate you not because of our successes. We're going to celebrate you because you're a human being that God created. That he's placed in front of us, and we want to be in a relationship with you regardless. What a gift. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I wonder what led, was there one thing specifically that led to you writing this article to expand the table, listen more, talk less?
2: Hmm. Simply an invitation. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, certainly lots of things that I am passionate about and care very much about and was thankful for the opportunity to share those in a new forum. I, so listening was a
1: big part of... I. I
2: went and got my doctorate
1: and it was mainly on uh, my dissertation was mainly on mission Mm -hmm. partnerships and what that looks like Mm cross-culturally the gaps that there are and the bridges that we can uh, walk across to to make them better partnerships and one of the big points that I tried to make was that without listening there's only selfish giving and Mm -hmm. uh, what that means as far as I don't listen just to respond I listen to understand. I don't listen Mm. just because of uh, creating a conversation or whatnot, but I want to actively listen so that I can be part of the conversation with you. Mm. Instead of asking you a question to only hear what I want to hear, I want to hear what it is that you have an opinion about. Mm -hmm. I I really appreciated everything that you said in your article about uh, when we pull up a chair to the table That is where we find the truer versions of ourselves, where we see these new perspectives. And I want to go through, can we just go through a couple of your points in the article? So one was that listening requires a willingness to be formed by new perspectives. Can you talk about maybe something that, what was a new perspective that you were willing to be brought into or or something that you've learned by sitting at the table?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So I think about even my experience in grad school right now, if I could use an example from that right now, we're taking a course studying how different communities interpret scripture and by coming to a table that I have not historically been at to learn from all kinds of communities, African-American, Latinx, Asian-American, disability communities on how they interpret scripture. It's a posture of listening and a willingness to be formed in return to say, how might I see God in new ways in light of how you are seeing God? Like faithfulness that comes from journeying in community. And you even brought up
1: Mr. Rogers, which I loved. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that listening is an act of love. Listening is where love begins, mm-hmm. listening to ourselves and then listening to our neighbors. That's where um, we find the influences in our lives and how we make our decisions. We can look around and see where we're impacted and who we will impact by those decisions. Are there any other influences that you can think of other than Mr. Rogers that's taught you um, about listening and what that means? Jesus.
2: <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Our our master teacher who drew near. And, you know, Jesus could have just come and never asked a question. But how much did he ask questions uh, when he dwelt among us as God incarnate and a desire to listen and Even thinking of healing stories and Jesus asked, what do you want? Jesus didn't enter with assumptions, even though he knew. (laughs) What a model to enter in in asking questions. And I think of people in my own life, like my mom has been a master teacher for me in love, my grandparents in love and how that reflects listening. There's something that changes when someone desires to listen to you and is delighted to hear your voice. That changes you. And so that happens relationally, but then even at an organizational level, how are we training those that we're hiring to administer surveys to approach this relationally, to delight in the person that they're with, to treat people not just as sources of data, uh, but as people?
0: I love the fact that Jesus asks questions not because he needs to know the answer. He knows the answer. He's asking the question for the benefit of the person he's asking it to so that they have the blessing of speaking, knowing they're being heard. Like that's the whole point. Jesus could have just run around, pointing his finger at everybody that needed healing and and healing them, but he gives them the chance to speak, and then know they're being heard. And that's just, gosh, we we just we got to do more of that. Um, I'm from my perspective, you know, I I coordinate mission projects in Costa Rica. And of course we really emphasize the relationship building and all of that kind of stuff. What is, what do you think is the biggest challenge to getting people to listen? more? What is it? Is it something that's cultural? Is it, what is it about us that makes just being slow to speak and quick to listen so hard?
2: I think about speed inefficiency, and pride. Western culture, uh, American culture in particular, you want to go, 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 go. If you ask somebody a question, it might slow you down. And heaven forbid, they tell you something that doesn't align with your plan. Ah, how often we want to be right and do it alone, (laughs) which calls it the independence of culture. I'm thinking independence valued in American culture. I'm thinking of an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So I think some of those cultural norms hinder us from listening and perhaps even more so from listening with a real desire to be formed and a willingness to change course and response.
0: Yeah. Besides me forwarding your article to people that are going to come down here and be with us, What do you have you found a a way in your own experience that's an effective way to really kind of make that click for people that listening matters? Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, a lot of the things that I think we we talk about, a lot of the books that we read, and it's it's sort of big, long processes of change that are going to happen in people's lives. I'm interested in someone that's going to be here with us for seven days and may or may not be prepared a whole lot. It depends. Every church is different. Every group is different before they get here. So what's the, I mean, is there a, is there kind of a something that I can offer to Mm -hmm. folks before they come just to say, hey, be be mindful of this?
2: It's a great question. I'm thinking about a quote that I'm forgetting who's from. Perhaps you both could help me. Uh, That says something along the lines of that. People will forget what you said, but they will not forget how you made them feel.
0: Mm.
2: And I think it gets to the posture that we come as learners. (laughs) We come as learners as we enter different communities. And so one thing that I would offer, if you will, a rally cry that we have that hope for our team is that listening is ministry. It's not just an evaluation of the ministry in my space where we work technically designing surveys, all of those things. It's not just like research it's ministry. And one other that I would offer is that we think about listening as a posture and a practice. And so as you are inviting folks to come down and see God at work and learn from local communities, I think entering with a posture of listening uh, reflects humility, that none of us has all the answers. And, you know, it shifts the dynamics when you enter a community to say, hello, I am here to help you. (laughs) Like, Yikes. Versus like, I would love to learn from you. I know the beauty of mutuality that there's so much more of God, of true self that I will experience in community with others. And it's calling to mind a quote from Father Greg Boyle, uh, who's one of my heroes. He founded Homeboy Industries uh, in Los Angeles, which is the largest gang rehabilitation Program in the world. And uh, my husband and I had the chance to visit earlier this summer, which was a dream come true. And Father Greg, in his books, which I would recommend to anyone and everyone, they're my favorite books on the planet that I've read. He says uh, that service is the hallway to the ballroom of mutuality and kinship. Don't get stuck in the hallway. So maybe to summarize, I would just send them that quote from Father Greg. Yeah. He has better words than I do.
1: <laughs> I love how you use the phrase, I don't maybe remember what you said, but I remember how you made me feel. Is that what? Mm-hmm. I think that's right. I actually said something of that nature of we were in the car ride together earlier today with the Russian, the Romanian, the American. We're in the car. And I said, I don't remember what we were doing, why we were there, what we were talking about but I sure remember feeling so loved and so thankful that we were in the room together and experiencing that together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a a beautiful way of saying that because did Jesus was such a wonderful example of, of he listened so intently and he made the person that he was speaking to. uh, feel like the most important person in the world. And Mm -hmm. I hope I just hope, hope that someday I can be just like that of where the person in front of me just feels like the most important person in the world because they know that I'm truly interested and truly love being with them.
2: Absolutely.
0: Well, now Ashley knows how much I, I talk about seeing people. And to me, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, you can't disconnect that from hearing people, but, um, you know, I I see you. And, and, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at, at the well, you know, what changed her life wasn't really the words that he said to her. It was the fact that he saw her and listened to her and it changed everything. And so as a ministry, we want the people around us in the communities that we're serving to know that we see them and we hear them. And then that that's what guides us Forward in our relationships with them. So mm-hmm. thank you for giving us more tools to, to help people understand that, for being the
1: senior listening manager.
0: For being the senior. I'm just glad that that exists. I'm just so happy <laughs> that it that exists, that, that it's made my day.
1: Rebecca, is there anything that we have not asked you that you are like, Oh, I just wish that Will and Ashley had asked me that question. Did you like how I stumbled over my own name? Like I couldn't remember my own name. Like,
2: <laughs> with, <laughs> we'll call it jet lagged. You don't always have to address yourself with questions. I hear you. <laughs> you know, a few things that come to mind that I'd love to share. That I, I may just jump in and share. One, when we think about listening. It is really important to be careful of power dynamics. When someone outside of a culture enters in who is associated to have more power due to different constructs, be that race or otherwise, we just need to be really careful and really mindful of that. Mm -hmm. And I think for myself as as a listener and an evaluator... We have power and such a weight of responsibility to steward other stories, and that's not to be taken lightly when you're entrusted with someone's story. And the last thing that came to mind that I would love to share is just thinking about who we are listening to and uh, who is listening to us and something that is a gift that I have experienced and desire to continue positioning myself to experience is the beauty of mutuality on the margins. And as we serve communities that are marginalized in one way or another, and as we ourselves may be marginalized in one way or another, I just, I think about this uh, statement that my husband has said that I love. Um, he says, if we're struggling to see Jesus, are we spending time with those that he surrounded himself with? And, um, In each context, wherever we are, it's easy to just be with those that are like us in one way or another. And, you know, I just find (laughs) I feel a bit more alive and like I am tasting more of the kingdom when I'm talking with my neighbors experiencing homelessness at the church a block and a half away. And so as we listen, may we listen well to each person we hold space with and may we Receive the beautiful invitation uh, for those that are not already on the margins to draw near and to see the king embodied there.
0: If I can add, well, I'm not adding to it. I just did the, the connection between the second thing you said and the third thing you said are just so clear to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a much better steward of the testimony that I'm hearing if I have a relationship with the person that I'm hearing it from if i don't and i can do what i want with it but if i mm-hmm. do have a relationship with that person then it's going to matter to me a whole lot more how their words their story is relayed to other hearers and so mm-hmm. that to me just reinforces how the relationship aspect the abiding with one another if i'm abiding with you then i'm going to care for you which includes caring for your words
2: And that that ties to the power of influence and how we steward that. You know, if we use the image of a table and we think about what tables are we present at within our sphere of influence and who's missing, one way to fill a gap is to go and ask someone for their story and to bring it back and be their mouthpiece. Another is to pull up a chair, (laughs) to expand the table. And then perhaps the next layer is to say, you take my seat. How about you tell your story? You belong in this space.
1: That's beautiful. It makes me think about, I've learned this lesson, this listening lesson, the best I believe in Haiti, because uh, it, it was something that I had to, your first point was that I have to realize my own power. So me coming into the setting that I was in, I was naturally going to be deferred to as the person who had the answers, the person who had the money, and the person who had the power. And I hated everything about that because I knew that I didn't, that, that, that this wasn't about me. It was about them, but it took time and it took asking questions. It took listening and it took time. Did I say time? It it took time. (laughs) It took this time of coming back and coming back and spending more time together, being at this table together. And they really did teach me the importance of a table, of sitting around the table, because that's where we were equal is that when we sat at the table, we were eye level together and we were equal and we could share our ideas. Mm -hmm. And so for me to stop talking and to listen and to ask questions and then to pause no matter for how long the silence would be to help them to understand that I really was interested in what they had to say, it took a lot of time and investment uh, and, and hopefully making them feel like that what they had to say was truly important. And then we got to such a great point of, of where I didn't have to just sit there and wait for the silence anymore, that it was just a natural thing that we that evolved into them talking and sharing their ideas because they understood that I was listening and that we would figure this out together. And so mm-hmm. it it's a beautiful process when, when you finally do learn the lessons, because it took me a while to learn the lessons, but finally to learn those lessons of being quiet, to asking questions, to actively listen, to not just respond but to really listen for the information and to be helpful and to make them feel important so thanks
2: for that Rebecca thanks for for validating that. Wow. Thank you for sharing Ashley i hear in that a beautiful story of kinship. like I'm hearing a move from it's about me to it's about them to it's about us uh, that's a beautiful thing.
0: Well Rebecca thank you so much uh, again thank you for your patience as we sorted through some tech issues again. And I'm just so glad that this and you are going to be part of our catalog. I mean, it was, was, you know, we're getting ready to start releasing episodes for season two. And I've been going back and looking through season one. And I'm just like, I mean, I hadn't forgotten about the people that we talked to last year, but I've just been focused on other things. I'm looking through this list of names. I'm like, gosh, I'm so glad that we get to listen to these people sharing the things that that they know. And, and I'm just thankful that you are willing to add your name to that list. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Rebecca, thanks for
1: all the back and forth emails and uh, figuring out the times and the places. We see you, we hear you, and we're thankful to, for you to join us on the Broken Banquet Podcast.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Bye, Rebecca. Bye, Ashley.
2: Bye, Will.
1: You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast.